It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the mind of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Guestman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Coming to you from Corner of the Galaxy Studios on Monday, April 15th, following the LA Galaxy's 2-0 shutout victory over the Philadelphia Union. That's two shutouts back-to-back for the Galaxy, and uh, and they continue to row, row, roll, I should say, four in a row for the LA Galaxy. A whole bunch of other stats we want to get to, and of course, go over this game. We're also going to be talking a lot about uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, uh, the man, the myth, the legend there, uh, still coming up big for the LA Galaxy. And of course, we have some closer comments, player of the week, a whole bunch of stuff to get to and to talk about as we go forward. In order to help me do that, he's back, the panda himself, mostly because I'm back uh, in, in in Southern California so we can have the panda on. But welcome back to the show, Mr. Kevin Baxter. Kevin, how's it going, buddy? Not well. It's not a good day today. No? Why, why is that? They announced the Pulitzer Prizes today, you may have noticed. This is a, uh, the 42nd year that I've been in journalism and have been shut out of the Pulitzer Prizes. I was going to say, I was going <laughs> to, well, you know. I, I'm worse than the San Jose earthquakes right now. <laughs> I was going to say, if it makes you feel any better, nobody nominated me for anything either. Um, you know, there's, there's, I, I'm sure there's lots of awards I could win, just none of them would be very distinguished. Oh, well, n- <laughs> now that you bring that up, I don't even know I got nominated. Now you make me feel worse. Maybe it's not that I didn't get overlooked. I just didn't even get looked. That may, maybe somebody somebody should put it through there no uh no some interesting times well we're glad to have you back uh the la galaxy uh rolling kevin rolling 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 on the river um the galaxy now four wins in a row off to their fourth best start in franchise history this is no longer one of those things where you look back at 2017 and 2018 and wonder what could have been uh the la galaxy through six games have a, an impressive sort of group that they're hanging out with in terms of uh, the, the overall results. But, uh, you know, another shutout victory as well. Uh, things seem to be coming together for the Galaxy, even though I, I think that they're a little upset at how they played the second half of that game. But that's a good thing. I mean, if if, if you win a game 2 to nothing, uh, and, and now they've gone 226 minutes without giving up a goal, uh, you win that game at home, as you said, fastest start, uh, you know, one of the fastest starts ever, fastest start for sure since 2010. Yep. Unbeaten at home. If they're upset with the way they played, that's a good sign because that means they think that there's a lot more in the tank. You don't you don't get upset with a victory unless you think you left something on the field. And that seems to be the way this team feels, that there's a lot more where that came from. Yeah, it, it, it does. And and I think uh, I certainly wrote my, my game recap uh, mirroring what I had heard in the postgame. I'm going to go through some of the postgame comments uh, that we got from Guillermo Barrescoloto and from Zlatan Ibrahimovic and sort of talking about it. There's also a great quote from Jim Curtin uh, from the Philadelphia Union as well to sort of tell you what the LA Galaxy are doing. But just to take you back in history, uh, 1996, the inaugural season for the LA Galaxy, they started 12-0, and Kevin. Now remember, shootout era, but still 12-0 for 36 points. Um, I don't know that this team will get to that point. Obviously, they played, they played with leather balls back then. That doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a different era altogether. But anyway, they were 12 and 0 for 36 points. Uh, in 1998, the LA Galaxy started 9 and 0 for 27 points before losing to Chicago in their 10th game. And in 2010, the most recent, as you referenced, uh, they had 10 wins and two draws in their first 12 games before losing. Uh, at Real Salt Lake in their 13th game. So if this 2019 LA Galaxy team still wants to sort of, you know, take it to the next level, they're going to have to extend this for basically double what they have right now uh, through the first six games. They have 15 points. But just to sort of put this in perspective, Kevin, if you go look at all of the seasons, 24 seasons for the LA Galaxy through six games, the average uh, number of points that the LA Galaxy have earned through the first six games is 9.75 points. All right, so the LA Galaxy are at 15 points right now, well above that average. And uh, I'm sure there's lots of people who want to talk about the schedules. In fact, somebody told me, well, they haven't played anybody, so that's why their point... L- listen, over 24 seasons, I can guarantee you they had some easy schedules during that time. So to look at the starts and to sort of put it in perspective still means something. Um, but certainly, I think you and I both agree, Kevin, that a, a test coming up on-, on Friday for the LA Galaxy versus the undefeated Houston Dynamo, even if Houston has played nobody. Yeah, you and I were just talking about the schedule. In fact, Houston is undefeated, and you're right. They really haven't played anybody. And you look at the Galaxy schedule, and you want to say, well, there's some difficult games in there, and there's some soft games in there. But identify those. For example, uh, they played Portland in the fourth game. Portland 
made it to the MLS Cup final last year, won the Western Conference. Portland's winless this year, so you can't really base it on that. The third game was against Minnesota, terrible team the last two years. Started out really well. I think they came into StubHub or Dignity Health Sports Park. I still can't say that. They came in there unbeaten. Right. And then right. Vancouver, you know, is is sort of trying to figure things out. Philadelphia was a playoff team last year, not doing as well this year. So when you look at the schedule in MLS, perhaps more than any other league, I mean, look at Toronto. Remember, they set a an MLS record with points and victories. And then the next year, they didn't even make the playoffs. So with the parity in MLS and all the things moving around, you really can't. Look, I, I've tried to do this. And I was one of the people that said, yeah, it looks like the Galaxy have a really soft schedule starting out. You can't make those comparisons anymore. Uh, and Houston's the perfect example. They're unbeaten, and you think, "Oh my gosh, this must be a great team." And then you look at who they played, and maybe not. Yeah, they've uh, they've drawn against RSL. They've won uh, versus Montreal. They've won versus Vancouver. They've won at Colorado. They're only away game so far. Uh, and then they uh, they won uh, versus San Jose. There are no uh, clear things, and that's why uh, I was looking today on some of the chat rooms and, and trying to do some research on Houston and sort of getting ready for you know this next game as the Galaxy sort of turn the page on Philadelphia and look look forward to Houston. Um, and there's all these Houston fans thinking they're being disrespected somehow because MLS isn't isn't paying attention to them being undefeated. And I'll say uh, that when you're a small market team and you play a whole bunch of small market teams to begin with, and they're bad small market teams to begin with, you're not going to get that respect. So Houston coming in, obviously the same team, Kevin, who knocked the LA Galaxy out of playoff contention last year. So I think there's some revenge on the mind. This really seems like it's the first test for Houston, the first test for the Galaxy. A big test, although I will say that I thought Philadelphia was a good test for the Galaxy and they handled it well. So I want to I want to dive into that game uh, just a little bit. The the sort of main things that, that touched off for me for this Philadelphia game is uh, Polenta comes back, so he returned to the starting lineup, so you got him back in the starting lineup. Uh, Dan Starris started next to him. Maybe for the last time Dan Starris starts with Giancarlo Gonzalez possibly come in, although we're going to talk about the injury to Rolf Felcher and how that could shift some things around. Uh, one of the things I was asked a whole bunch about was Efrain Alvarez was not in the 18-man roster, so I asked about that. The LA Galaxy told me uh, that Alvarez had just returned from the Mexico U-20 camp. Uh, apparently, he took a break during that U-20 camp, I think, to go up to Vancouver and actually play in that Vancouver, or, or you know, be on the bench for that Vancouver game, uh, and then went back to the Mexico U-20 camp. So he was there and had just returned on game day, so they didn't want to start him, or they didn't want to put him in that 18-man roster. So nothing nothing to worry about there, just Alvarez uh, doing his international stuff, something that Dennis DeClosa told us about before this uh, season even started. So... Here's the big thing for me, Kevin. Uh, The first half was amazing fun soccer to watch. This was Minnesota all over again in terms of the first half and 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 how they are the second half or whichever half that was the Galaxy played well against Minnesota. Um and and this was the the a really really good midfield anchored by Jonathan Dos Santos and Joe Corona and Sebastian Legette who we've been high on now for the last couple of weeks. Um this was a team that was flying around causing all sorts of problems from Philadelphia. Uh so many problems in fact that Jim Curtin afterwards uh, Uh, gave, I think, one of the quotes to hang your hat on so far. Um, And he said, uh, and he was talking about his team, so I'll give you the full quote. He says, overall disappointing night for us. Two good teams going at it, and you had an unfortunate injury early to Marco uh, Fabian, who I had hopes for playing a big role in this game, lost him early. Credit to the Galaxy. They played at a tempo that was faster than we've seen this season. I think we'll learn from it. Obviously, Zlatan Ibrahimovic in the box was a focus all week, and he made us pay. Happy with the response in the second half, but disappointing. Uh, It took us until the penalty kick to get ourselves playing a little bit in the first half, and then I thought the second half was much better, but still weren't clinical enough to get a goal to kind of get the game and get some momentum on our side. So so the big line here is they played at a tempo that was faster than we've seen this season. And Kevin, it's obvious when you're watching this team and when they're playing well and when they're playing through the midfield with Jonathan Dos Santos, with Joe Corona, with Sebastian Legette, that this is one of the quickest midfields in Major League Soccer and it might be one of the most dominating by the end of this season. Well, there's a, kind of a lot to break down there. I mean, I want to talk about the back line at some point because I think it's very interesting. But Jonathan Dos Santos has been playing really, really well. Um, and, you know, I think arguably some people thought that he was the the man of the match, uh, despite the fact Zolotan had the two goals. Uh, you know, things have really been running through the middle, and, and Jonathan's a big part of that. In fact, after the Vancouver game, Zolotan talked about how, uh, you know, he praised the midfield for, for the service that they've been giving him. So any success they're having up front, well, you're right. I mean, a lot of that goes to the midfield. And, and what do you think? 
is the difference for Jonathan? Do you think it's the pairing with Joe Corona? I think that's made a huge difference. Um, obviously, having healthy people around him, not you know, not having to play with different players every week, that's made a big difference too. But Jonathan's really played at a different level this year, and he was pretty good last year too. Yeah, I was going to say towards the end of the uh, the second half of the season, Jonathan Dos Santos was every bit a designated player, and I think that was one of the knocks that he had had since he came over to the Galaxy. It was like, okay. Uh, you're a designated player. You're making close to $2 million a year. You need to show what that is, what it means to be a designated player and be on the field. Um, I'll say that this season, he may be the, uh, the, you know, outside of Zlatan scoring all the goals, obviously, uh, he may be the team's MVP because he was flying around in the first half. I think he slid, he had like three different slide tackles where he stole the ball. Um, it's the compression that they're getting around him too. Everybody collapses on the ball in the center. You got Joe Corona mm-hmm. flying around. You got Sebastian Legette flying around. Um, and it's just so quick that, that teams in the middle, and you saw this with Philadelphia, uh, that teams in the middle did not have any chance to, to sort of take that ball. Not in the first half. In the second half, a bunch of more. But, I mean, Bedoya was shut out. Um, you had Medijinian, I can never say his name. But you, you have him in the center for, for Philadelphia who was marked out of it. Um, you know, you had you had uh, a Marco Fabian who threw the first however many minutes until he got injured was being marked off the ball. So Philadelphia couldn't possess the ball. Um, they couldn't find outlets once they did possess the ball. And the midfield smothered and won every second challenge. And it's that work rate that we've been seeing. I mean, Jim Curtin said it, the pace, um, the pace at which they're moving through the midfield, out to the wings, um, putting it in dangerous spots. It, it's In my mind, it's unmatched right now in Major League Soccer. What, what do you think, you know, it, Jonathan said some interesting things post-game too about, you know, first of all, he's been available to the media a lot more this year than he has been in the past. I think he's talked almost every week. And again, I'm not one of those guys who says everyone needs to talk to the media. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, patting ourselves on the back. I'm just saying the fact that he seems to be in a good mood and he seems to want to talk yeah. and he seems to be accessible. And then he, but he's always done everything in Spanish, which right. is fine. He did say after this last postgame session, though, that he wants to start talking to the media in English. He, what, he, do you make of, what do you make of that? Yeah, he was joking around. It was fun to sort of talk to him afterwards. And he comes in and, and we asked for Jonathan to come in and, and there was no argument. He said, yeah, absolutely. So he came in um, and uh, and I think uh, Larry Morgan not on Twitter was the first to ask him a question. Larry actually has a uh, feature coming out on Jonathan. I think if you're listening to this on Monday, it's coming out on Tuesday morning. I'm going to post it. He's already written it. Just wanted to spread it out a little bit. He wanted to talk to Jonathan. We wanted to do a feature on him. So uh, we've tried that before and it hasn't worked when he hasn't been available so Jonathan came in and Larry asked him a question in English and Jonathan looked at him and he goes he goes I'm gonna have to answer it in Spanish he goes and and, and we're like okay that's fine and so he answered it in Spanish um, and he and by the way he said I'm gonna answer it in Spanish in English so that way we could understand him the whole deal he answered all the questions even if they were asked in English he answered them in Spanish and then when he was leaving he goes he goes he goes he goes in English next time I promise um, sort of like saying I'm, I'm getting there I'm closer I'm feeling more comfortable we'll do it in English next time and 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 sort of help it it's just to me it's a comfort level uh to me it's the fact that they're playing well it's the fact that Jonathan Dos Santos is playing well and whether or not you can say that's because his brother's no longer on the team I mean you, you can't completely dismiss the elephant in the room that perhaps Gio was more of an overbearing figure on Jonathan's life than Maybe he should have been, but the fact that Jonathan is there, I'll tell you right now, he's playing free, he's acting free, he's in a good mood, and the Galaxy are winning. I mean, all that certainly helps as well. Well, I was actually going to just make that point. I do think that there is something to it, and this is not geobashing. I do think there is something to it. Um, the fact that he doesn't—he's not in the shadow of his of his big brother, and um, regardless of how each of them were playing, whether one was injured, the other one wasn't, whatever. Geo, or uh, Jonathan, always deferred to Geo. If Geo wanted uh, to, to stay out of the locker room for a while, you know, didn't want to talk to the media, then Jonathan didn't. Um, if Gio was in a bad mood, then Jonathan wound up being in a bad mood. And you can really see that that he just sort of followed him around, as a lot of people do when they have a big brother. Um, but now that he's gone, Jonathan has become his own guy. And I think this was the Jonathan that was always there, with just sort of a little bit subdued by having his brother around. Um and, and I'm kind of surprised because Jonathan made some comments. You might remember when Gio's contract was bought out. Jonathan made some comments and people said that there was a bad translation. And I don't know because I didn't see the original Spanish. But people were saying that uh, the comments were to the effect of what goes around comes around and, and the Galaxy are going to regret this decision. And some people interpreted that as, you know, Jonathan might actually try to sabotage this thing. And it's been the exact, you know, that's been the furthest from the truth. He's right. actually 
got out and played played really well. And, uh, you know, I don't know if that's the reason, but as you said, you really can't discount it because he wasn't this player last year when – Gio was here, Gio's gone, and now Jonathan has just uh, really come into his own. And on the national team, too. Remember earlier uh, last month in his uh, first start for the national team under Tato Martino, he scored his first goal in 40 games with the, with Mexico. So, there, you know, he's playing well everywhere. Yeah, he, he is. And and again, if I had to vote for an MVP for the LA Galaxy right now, I might vote Jonathan Dos Santos for, for the main reason that without Jonathan there playing where he's at, um, I'm not sure that Zlatan gets the service that he's supposed to. I mean, you know, there's a lot of distribution from Jonathan. Um, you know, he talked about having being able to to sort of trust the guys in front of him. So he's talking about Joe Cron and Sebastian Legette. Um, it's really given Jonathan, you know, a singular role there, but it's also given him so much backup. The way that those three play in the midfield, if one guy goes after the ball and misses it, the second guy's usually only a half a step behind. So they're really trapping guys in the middle. And then if either of those guys miss it, the third guy comes in, and by the time the third guy comes in, the other two are already regrouped and, and sort of holding the shape. So there's not a lot of room through the middle, and it's it's suffocating to see. So, um, you know, again, the midfield continues to be the biggest improvement for the LA Galaxy, and credit to Dennis DeClosa and Guillermo Barrascoloto. Getting Joe Corona and Corona playing so well um, in his... <laughs> he just got here, Kevin. You're talking about a guy who just arrived before the season, um, and he's a guy who's just out there flying around doing great things. Um, so seeing Joe Corona play in this, it's just all this combination stuff. You want to point to one person and, and what they're doing, and Jonathan has been a leader on the field and, and really been a leader in sort of terms of passing and, and finding spots and the tenacity that they have in the midfield, but it's not just one guy right now. Um, it really is, you know, a front eight that is uh, determined to show how, how what the LA Galaxy can do right now. I mean, there is a certain determination, and you can get that from the fact that everybody was disappointed in the second half. Um, first half was great. Zlatan probably could have scored three or four goals in the first half. Um, the Galaxy even going up a man with 15 minutes left whenever uh, Austin Trusty got his second yellow card. Um, you know, you thought for sure that there would be another goal in there. Somebody asked me at one point in the first half what the chances... Zlatan would get a hat trick in that game, Kevin. And at that point, looking at how they were playing, I said 90%. I go, and it's 50%. He gets four. Um, so the drop-off in the second half was real. It was seen by Guillermo Berescaloto. It was seen by Jonathan Dos Santos, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, all the players out there. The drop-off was real in the second half, and I think that's where they're disappointed um, in how they played and how they closed out the game. Still a shutout. That's, I mean, you, you have to take that as a positive, but it's not as big of a positive as I think fans feel it is whenever you see, you know, 226 minutes of shutout um, and another win four in a row now for the Galaxy. Yeah, it's the longest shutout streak since last fall. It's, in September, they went 263 minutes. But it, with Zalatan, before we get away from him, I drank the Kool-Aid about, uh, about Zalatan a long time ago um, with the way he got started last year. I was a little bit on the bubble just really thinking a guy at his age coming over, um, you know, wasn't playing for Manchester United, had just had, in, you know, the first major injury of his career, reconstructive knee surgery. Guys at his age in any sport don't come back from that. So I drank the Kool-Aid after his fast start last year. I, I, I want to double Kool-Aid now. This is remarkable. This guy's 37. He just did have the Achilles problem. He has six goals in four games. Um, he's unstoppable. I mean, he with if you add in his assist, he's had a hand in seven of the Galaxy's 11 goals. He, again, I think we talked about this before. He's like the big kid that has the beard on the Little League team, yeah. you know, that hits a home run every time up and pitches a no-hitter every... I had a, actually had a kid on my team back in the Little League that was just like that. He was the, you know, uh, he'd bring his kids to the game at 12, you know, and his, his children would watch him play. <laughs> um, that's how Zalatan feels. I mean, there's, it just seems like anytime the ball comes to him, he scores. What we were talking about earlier, the number of shots, he has seven shots on goal, and he has six goals. Yes. According to the MLS stats. Yes. Now, I don't know. what I, I'm assuming that those are correct, but that's incredible. Um, it, it, and I remember the game, I think his best game last year. Everyone talks about the LAFC game. Yes, that was pretty incredible, the first one, because it was his debut, and he only played 19 minutes. But from my money, his best game was the game against Orlando when he had the hat trick and every time Orlando scored, he'd come right down and score. And it was a matter of minutes when he would come back and pull that goal back. Uh, that was, I think his most dominating game. And he's even better than that this year. He just seems unstoppable. Again, every time the ball comes near him, he seems to find the back of the net. It's uncanny. He's doing it at 37. This league clearly, I, I want to say, I want to 
dictated this league clearly is far too easy for him. But then I think back the year that he had at PSG where he scored, I don't know, what was it, 45 or 50 goals in all competition. That looked pretty easy too. And then his first season at Manchester United, he would have had equally fantastic stats if he hadn't gotten hurt. Yeah, he's made almost every league he's gone to look easy to, to some extent. Um, that was one of the reasons that he actually got my vote for player of the week. Um, I looked at all the rest of them, and I think that the, the reporters got it wrong um, and that the uh, the fans also get get a vote in this. So you, you're, not, you're not relieved of this either. But I think they got it wrong. Um, you know, Ezekiel Barco for, for Atlanta had two great goals. He comes on as a sub. I get it. Whole deal. They were playing against New England. You have to start looking at the competition with these guys and what's happening. The games that were really important, I thought maybe Bruin might be one of those guys in that Toronto-Seattle game because he was certainly ranked high um, and had a good game. Uh, you had uh, you had some other guys. There was a guy from uh, New York City who, honestly, I'd never heard of before because I don't pay attention to the Eastern Conference as much as I should. Um, but it was uh, Tajori Shirati. Um, who had two goals and one assist, and that was in that Minnesota game. So that's a tougher game. They're on the road in that game, so he was my second. But I had Zlatan as number one because I watched him match up against Philadelphia all night, and he continued to dominate them. Um, I think that Trusty went up for a header on the first goal, and it was like, oh, oh, that was cute that you tried uh, because Zlatan just dominated you. I had somebody who was actually telling me that Zlatan fouled Trusty on that, and it was like, listen... Um, Zlatan jumped a good foot and a half higher than him. There's no foul on that, and there's no way Trusty's ever getting to it. And Trusty didn't even complain. He just hung his head in shame after it. Um, you know, the same on the penalty kick, and I think the big knock with, with Zlatan right now is that everybody's talking, and he has three penalty kick goals from his six goals. Uh, he's drawn, I think, two of those three. So he has been the guy who has been No, fouled. actually, I think he's drawn all three. I think okay, he's so drawn he, all three. He may have had all three, but he is the guy who's getting fouled in this, Kevin. He is the one who's drawing that foul, and then he is converting it. And for me, whenever that happens, I'm always... That's a much different story than just the designated penalty kick taker, which he is, and other people get fouled, um, and he goes up and takes the shot, and he really wasn't involved. He's involved in all of these. Um, so for me, it was a no-brainer to have Zlatan Ibrahimovic be the player of the week. Uh, I think the reporters missed it. Probably a little East Coast, West Coast bias going on. Certainly uh, there was some Atlanta finally got off the uh, the schneid there whenever they uh, whenever they beat New England. But again, it's New England. Um, you have to look at the quality of the opponents for these guys whenever you're voting for this stuff, whenever you're looking at it. And for me, Slaton and the Galaxy versus Philadelphia, you can say what you want about Philadelphia, Kevin, but Philadelphia was a good team coming in this. They were a good team in the Eastern Conference. They played against the Galaxy, and they got their butt whooped for 45 minutes, and then they made it a little tight on the Galaxy, but, but really didn't have anything whenever you look at it. Well, the other thing is, so a lot of times played four games. He's had the game-winning goal in three of them. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, again, as, as you know, I voted for him as MVP last year, and I and and I know it. You know, people were really upset. You know, had to go to Joseph Martinez because he set the goal-scoring record. And when I looked at that, my thinking was, take Joseph Martinez off that team. They still have Miguel Almiron and all those other guys. They're still a good team. They probably still make it to the MLS Cup final or have a great season. The Galaxy didn't even make it to the playoffs with Zlatan last year scoring 22 goals. So take him out of the picture, and you know they get relegated, and we don't even have relegation. I mean, that's yeah. the difference that Zlatan made, and that's why I, I agree with you. And I, I'm not so sure if East Coast, West Coast bias, that's part of it. I think it's more a, a, a factor of time. The Galaxy game started at 10.30 on the East, on the East Coast yep. on a Saturday. Not a lot of people stayed up to watch that, and by the time they got up Sunday morning, they were already into – Sunday's game. So uh, I don't think a lot of people, they probably looked at the score and saw Zalatan scored and saw that there was, it was a penalty, you know, that he had a penalty kick. And right. so, uh, you know, I think that that was a, a big part of it, but you know, if you draw the penalty and then you make the penalty kick, that that's a goal in my mind. It, yeah. Now, if someone else is drawing those penalties and you're just stepping up and put the ball in, that's different. But uh, you know, he's drawing the penalty because he's that dangerous and then he's converting it. I, you know, I, I, Yes, it's only six games, but I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. A guy just completely dominate an entire sport, an entire league, the way he has. Because everybody's scouting these games. Everybody's watching the video. Everybody knows what the Galaxy's going to do. At some point, you know, I know we we need to talk about there are no other options for the Galaxy, and people are complaining about that. Um, other guys have got to step up, and I agree with all that. At some point, Zolotan's going to get injured or tired or have to sit out for some reason, and someone else is going to have to score. And remember, one of the two games he missed, they were shut out. Yep. So, uh, you know, at some point, someone's going to have to step up. But right now, um, 
he it's just phenomenal just watching him play it's incredible feed, feed the lion um that's that's the bottom line you know i i have the same argument here's here's the stats we we go back to the galaxy's all-time la gal or the all-time uh, goal scorers in a single season right we talked about carlos Ruiz um in 2002 who had 24 goals Zlatan ibrahimovic is second on that list in 2018 with 22 goals um, you have Hurtado in 96 with 21 goals, Robbie Keane with 20 goals in 2015, and Landon Donovan in 2008 with 20 goals. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic in 2019. So we're early, okay? We get it. It's early. There's lots of things happening on here. Uh, right now, goals per game, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is averaging 1.50 goals per game. Uh, nobody else in that over the course of the entire season even comes close to that. Now, again, that whatever that means that means i'm just i'm just um, it, this is early i want to give you some comparisons uh the minutes per goal so whenever you look at how many minutes in between goals it is with Zlatan Ibrahimovic right now it is 60 minutes per goal uh, i don't know of anybody in major league soccer right now who is who is less than that um and if you want to go over to carlos vela who currently leads uh, major league soccer with eight goals uh he has played one more game in terms of he's played seven games uh Zlatan has only played four games so whenever you look at that and you combine that you can say uh that he has uh that Vela right now is scoring uh one goal every 77.37 minutes uh and averaging 1.14 goals per game so if Slaton and he knows this trust me if Slaton continues on the pace right now he's going to blow right past Carlos Vela and anybody else who's sort of in his way uh the way that he is he is scoring goals right now and you said it seven seven shots on goal and six goals um the way he's doing that is something to pay attention to. Um, so it's 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 significant, and we're going to continue to watch it. Again, six games, not going to jinx it, not going to say anything, but you need to understand what he's doing through the first six games that the Galaxy have played where he's only played four games and he already has six goals. It's, it's well, something special. The numbers are even get uh, more incredible when you take a wider look. He's played 20, he scored 28 goals in 31 games. He only started 28 of those. So if you do the math again, 89 minutes per goal. So better than a goal per 90 minutes, a yep. goal per full game. Uh, he only has, and now we're talking career-wise, his 31 MLS games. He has 56 shots on goals and, and 28, uh, 56 shots on goal and 28 goals. So every second shot goes into the back of the net. That's yep. pretty in, incredible. I don't know anyone's close to that over the, that many, uh, uh, you know, 20. 2,500 minutes. He also has 10 game-winning goals. Of his 28 goals, 10 have been game winners. Joseph Martinez has also has uh, 10 game-winning goals over the last season and a quarter, right. whatever it is. Um, but he has more goals than Zlatan. So Zlatan has been, you know, he's been more effective uh, in, in that his shots on goal lead to goals more often. His goals are, are lead to game winners more often than anybody else. And he's scoring at a pace of better than one goal every 90 minutes. Yeah, it's, it's it, again, just trying to put it all in perspective. This doesn't mean this doesn't change from game to game. We're early enough in the, in the stats here. But like you said, taking a wider view, this is not new. He started it last year. He's continuing it this year. And this year, uh, he seems to be more focused uh, on everything. So you had uh, you had Zlatan Ibrahimovic get two goals there, uh, Kevin. Clearly the, the two goals, you, you get the 2 nothing win. That's all good. Uh, some bad things that sort of happened as well. Felcher got an injury in this. Um, I would expect right now that, that Rolf Felcher is not going to be available for Friday's game against Houston. And so there is a question. Uh, 17-year-old Julian Araujo came into this game, played the last uh, however many minutes it was um, in, in this particular game and, and, and did well. Um, did okay. He was caught a couple times. It was during the second half where there was a lot of um, there was a lot more flexibility within the formation, and I think that uh, Philadelphia played a lot better in the second half, and the Galaxy didn't react very well. So Araujo was caught on his toes a couple times, but the defense was caught on their toes a couple times. If you don't think that Rolf Felcher could be a huge loss to this LA Galaxy team, he was on a bunch of you know best at position lists over the last two or three games. Um, he was the best right back in Major League Soccer probably over the last two, maybe three games um, that he played and has been one of the underrated players this year for the LA Galaxy. So losing him, just like they lost him last year, uh, could have a significant impact. And I don't know if Julian Araujo, 17 years old, coming in is is ready to sort of make that next jump. And so that's something to watch here as the Galaxy get closer um, to the Houston game on Friday. Well, remember, Felcher missed a lot of games with injury last year, and and Guillermo did say after the game, he said, 
talking about Araujo. He's talked about how he's young and, you know, he's just coming up from the academy and, you know, he needs more seasoning. But then he said he is the sub if Rolf is not playing. So that was a vote of confidence there. But I wonder a little bit. I really wanted to talk about the back line because, again, they have, uh, you know, 226 consecutive scoreless minutes, two straight shutouts, um, playing extremely well. Steris has, has been dominant. He's been incredible. Um, but now all of a sudden, when you talk about Joe Corona, a new guy uh, sort of just showing up and stepping in the starting lineup, now we have um, Giancarlo Gonzalez, who, if he gets his immigration paperwork done and transfer paperwork done, he's expected, I think, to start against Houston. And if that happens and, and, and he starts, he would start it next to Polenta, obviously. If that happens, that means Daniel Steris, arguably the best defender so far this season, goes to the bench. And I'm wondering if that's a good idea when the team is playing this well. One of the things that Steris did early in the season when Polenta was still kind of getting his feet on the ground and getting to know the league. Polenta, if you recall, made a couple of mistakes early on the first couple of games and Steris was there to help clean those up. And he was the guy that, that, uh, you know, that Bingham really relied on to sort of uh, organize that defense. If Steris all of a sudden goes to the bench and you have two guys with a total of six games uh, of MLS experience as your center backs, uh, that could be a recipe for uh, not maybe not for disaster, but for some problems. So you wonder about the the wisdom of doing that. Maybe maybe Giancarlo Gonzalez needs to to come off the bench first a couple of times, or maybe Polenta needs to become a little bit more comfortable before you take Steris out of there. Then when you talk about Araujo, if Rolf Felcher's out for a long time, that if they don't use Araujo, the other option over there, I think, would be Dave Romney, right? And, no, there's, and I, there's even a better option. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, but, but continue with your Dave Romney thought. I'm gonna give you a, a different scenario. Well, so I'll say all these things that then you're just gonna slap out of here in, in just a minute. But what I was gonna say is, I know Dave Romney prefers to play center back. That's his preferred position. But he's been so versatile. He's played everywhere, and he's played really, really well. This, to me, kind of feels like another one of those Dave Romney situations where, oh, Dave, you're not going to have to be in the starting lineup. Oh, someone got hurt. Come on in. And now he's going to play 15 or 20 games, and he's going to play exceptionally well, and he's going to kind of rescue the team. So it seems to be setting up for another Dave Romney to the to the rescue. rescue scenario. But I do wonder about making too many changes on that back line. Now, if again, if Felcher's out, and they do have to use Romney or your, your secret um, decoder yes. ring substitute, if they do have to use someone else, then all of a sudden they get four of the uh, two of the four positions new players next week. Do you really want to do that when your defense is playing that well? What if I told you you could change one player and everything else would be the same? Would that would that make you feel better? You know you have an injury at right back, all right. So you either let Araujo come in uh, for Felcher or you do this thing. Uh, you know Giancarlo Gonzalez, People Gonzalez uh, does play and has played right back for the national team. And so if you want to put People in. Uh, which I think there's some indication that he is going to play in this next game against Houston. Um, if you're going to put him in, I think you put him at right back. That leaves Steris and Polenta together as a good group there. It leaves Shelvick on the thing. There's a whole bunch of continuity that stays there, and you wait for Felcher to get healthy. And there's no timeline. We don't even know. Uh, I asked Guillermo afterwards um, about Felcher, uh, trying to get a little bit of insight into Felcher and Araujo and trying to figure out what would happen. Um, and he said it was just something muscular and that he had to come out. Right now, uh, Larry Morgan says that he goes, in his expert opinion, which he's not an expert on injuries, but he's a, a soccer reporter who's been paying attention. He thinks it's a groin injury. He did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last that's, week. That's right. So he's he's primed and ready to go. Um, so, uh, so Larry says that he, he thinks it's a groin injury. It looked like that on social media as Rolf was getting treatment uh, in the upper leg groinal area. Um, and so they were working on that area. So you, you, have, you have to think it's not serious, but it's probably not fast enough for him to come back. So Putting people there, people Gonzalez uh, coming in and playing that right back role might be a solution because I'll tell you, I like Araujo. I like him as 17 year olds, 17 years old. I know Guillermo is a fan of his as well. But trying to throw him into you know the the fire where he's going to be starting all the time when you have somebody like Gonzalez and when you're going to move somebody like Steris to the bench if you bring Gonzalez in, that to me sounds like that's a it's just a bad move. And uh, there's a little bit John Rojas, our good friend, uh, John Rojas and I were talking about. And he says that he would imagine that uh, Gonzalez already had his paperwork, his international transfer certificate and everything for the game and could have been available 
to play um, against uh, uh, Philadelphia. He thinks this is a management idea. This is a management thing from Guillermo where he's saying, listen, you can't be here you know, less than you know, 48 hours with the team and then expect to start. Um, and so this is a way of working him into the lineup a little bit better and giving him a chance to adjust and get in. And it's also a way to manage Dan Starris a little bit uh, in terms of, hey, listen, the, this guy was ready. We could have put him out there for you, but we still believe in you and you don't lose him. And if that's the case and that's how it went down, imagine him now bringing in Gonzalez at the right back and you still have all the confidence that uh, that you have earned and, and worked on so far with Dan Starris there at the center back. It, it seems like all that could fall into place. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. First, starting with the fact that you said that on social media, it looked like the groin, which was Larry Morgan said, and we yes. know that Larry Morgan is not on social media. So yes. there's a big hole in your argument no, right there. I saw it on social media. I'm okay. I'm connecting the dots with Larry. It was it was me actually at Galaxy Profile, which is uh, which is the Hammers uh, Instagram account that had that on it, and I was watching it, and it was a Rolf Felcher getting treatment in the groinal region. Um, and so that seemed like that was what, uh, what was the issue. So I stand by that, but yes, continue Yeah, the groinal region. Yes. Some people have larger groinal regions than others. They do uh, expose. Um, but I do, uh, first of all, I, I would take Romney over Araujo as much as I like Araujo, but your other idea, uh, first of all, the, the whole thing with the transfer certificate, whether the paperwork was done, if it, in fact, it was done and they use that as the reason to keep him on the sidelines, I think that's brilliant because the last thing you want is a guy to fly halfway around the world come over here and then run on the field and try to impress his teammates 48 hours after he arrives. That That's a recipe, again, a lot of recipes tonight. Yeah. That's a recipe for for disaster right there because he's he's going to, I think he's going to try too hard. He's not going to be prepared. Uh, you know, the back line more than anyone else, uh, they, those people need to communicate and have chemistry with one another. Um, the idea of, uh, he's a competitor though, and he's wanted to be here. He's wanted to get out of Bologna. He's wanted to come here. Um, he wants to impress and you just sort of like cool your jets, just sit out, watch a game, take it in, you know, try to figure out where you fit in. If, in fact, the Galaxy did that and that was, a, uh, you know, premeditated, that's really brilliant. And again, shows kind of where the how, how the front office has really taken a huge upgrade. Hold on one second. I, I want to say I want yeah. to, to, to say to give credence to what John said is that usually players are not allowed to train unless they've received their ITC and they can't even be in the country unless they already have their P1 visa. So the fact that he was in the country shows you that he already had the visa. Um, and then whenever you look at the fact that he was training and doing stuff, it seemed like the ITC was probably already in place as well. Again, not a little bit of a, not a, so much a conspiracy theory, but a theory in itself. And John is really in tune with these things. And when he explained it to me and we went over some of the details back and forth and I pushed back a little bit and we sort of argued about it, it, it makes some sense to me whenever you look at it that he was probably ready to go. Well, you know, they've been working on this transfer for a month, six weeks. So yeah. you would have assumed that at some point somebody would have thought, hey, why don't we get some of the paperwork started, you know, just in case. So, yeah, all that makes a lot of sense. And then the fact uh, where they took it out of his hands and, and took it away from the media questioning, is he going to start? Is he ready to play? They just took that right out. One of the first things they said to us was his paperwork is not done. So that was a way of saying this is not an issue. He's not going to start this week. He's not going to play this week. And again, you know, another a huge uh, tip of the cap to the front office for thinking of that. Now, I would say, again, going back to the other point, I would take Romney over Rajo just because this is this is a ready-made situation for Romney to, to, to sort of step in in a difficult situation. But your solution is even way better. Um, get Giancarlo on the field. Let him play. Let him get his feet wet. But don't break up the chemistry that you have with your center backs, which, again, you have one absence, uh, one player that might not be able to play. And we don't even know if he if he's hurt that bad. But if Rolf can't play, you have one position you need to fill. Why why move two people around in order to do that? You know, just fill the one position. The, the one example that always jumps out to me and with a soccer coach doing that uh, with disastrous results was in the, the Brazil World Cup when, if you remember, Neymar got hurt in the game against Colombia – and they they had to then when they went to Brazil went to play Germany in the semifinal they had one position to fill but what they did what Brazil did is they took uh, a midfielder put him in the back line took a forward put him in the midfield then they had they essentially wound up having to fill three positions and the results were disastrous they lost seven to one so keep it simple if you have yes. one guy that's hurt use one guy to replace him and don't start moving parts around that's that's usually my argument almost any time Kevin is that whenever you're looking at 
what is happening, you know, on a team and, and how it sort of affects things is look at how if you have an absence, what's the easiest way to replace that absence with the best player that you have, right? And so that's that's usually the, the, the easiest answer. That's how I try to figure these things out. So it, it's rather simple. You know that Giancarlo Gonzalez is probably the LA Galaxy's best defender, um, or at least he's supposed to be the LA Galaxy's best defender, and that's why they're really bringing him in. So why not move him to the right side? Why not make that happen? And when you do that, I, I think it, it solves a lot of problems um, for the Galaxy. And it, it, it's a stopgap measure now that you we talked about being maybe shallow at right back uh, with Araujo there and being the backup. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think that I think that Dave Romney, um, his his right back play is not as good as his left back play and is not as good as his center back play. So if you're looking at the weakest position for Romney, so why not give it to somebody like people Gonzalez at the right back and put him in that place? And so that's something that we'll just have to sort of watch here a little bit. You're going to make me continue to praise Dave Romney, right? You know, I love Dave Romney and I am not going to say anything bad about him. I, I think you should. I think hey, I'm, I'm, I like Dave Romney. I, I think he's a, a victim many times of his versatility. As I've said many times, uh, he's a great backup, but, almost every position and so that hurts him because he's probably at least in the eyes for so far of Gamer Barashkoloto not a starter at any of those positions well you know the other thing with with Giancarlo though just to play devil's advocate I like the scenario that you laid out unless there's been discussions and there probably has been in the front office if they've decided look this guy is our anchor at center back this is the this is the guy we wanted he's the missing piece whatever you want to call it polenta is good but this is really the guy um, then maybe you put him in there and say, let's not be moving this guy all over the place. Right. This is his position. You know, you call a, a starting pitcher up from the minor leagues. You don't want him pitching out of the bullpen. He's, if he's coming up to be a starter, he's going to be a starter. And so if they've decided he's coming to be a center back, yeah, you look at that and say, this may be our best lineup. Steros Polenta and then Giancarlo on the right wing. That may be our best lineup today. Yeah. But yeah. we're thinking two or three months down the road. And the closest told me, you know, he's thinking of 2021 right now. He wants to win on Saturday, but he's thinking of 2021. So if that's his mindset, maybe you go out and you make a couple, you have a, a re, uh, you know, a weakness at right back and you give up a couple of goals and you lose the game. But Giancarlo Gonzalez is your center back and he's there and he's going to play 80 straight games there. So um, it, it 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 will have to have to wait until Friday to see, I guess. Yeah, it is. It, it's one of those things. By the way, a big media availability day is on Wednesday of this week because it's a Friday game. So expect updates on uh, on Wednesday, not necessarily Thursday. And for us, uh, live podcast on Wednesday night. Um, and not Thursday night because of the Friday game again. So the Hammer and I will be on Wednesday. Just a, a little programming note. Um, I wanted to go over some of these quotes real quick because I thought, again, just to sort of hammer home how disappointed I think the Galaxy were in their second half performance. Uh, Guillermo Barrescoloto afterwards. And by the way, he wasn't necessarily asked about the second half in this. Um, he was asked about the first half. Um, and he answered about the second half, so it's kind of interesting. And and it was hey, the first half was to quote uh, Sophie, who who asked the question, uh, who's uh, who's great. Um, I love Sophie actually. Uh, Sophie said uh, said the first half was symphonic the way that the players were playing. I thought it was a, a great word. Um, it even made my my game recap. But he comes back, and this is Guillermo. He says, I don't really like the second half for us. I think we finished the game the first half where we played really good. We managed the ball. We managed the game. We had the possibility to score, but the second half. I talked with the players. We need to keep going, keep managing the ball. I think the game was even, or maybe sometimes they played better than us, but they never went very deep. But I didn't really like the second half. Again, asked about the first half, soliloquy here on the second half, which, uh, again, just shows what the focus was there. And Zlatan was the same way, Kevin. Um, he says, and he comes out, uh, and I think I asked him about the second half and what the difference was. Uh, and he says, first half, I think, was amazing. We had rhythm. We were aggressive. We had possession. We were direct. Second half, we say it enough times, we go out to kill, to score three or four and keep going. After two seconds, we almost conceded one goal. Either everybody was not on the same side or we just relax, and that cannot happen. When you go out and relax, you get punished. And when you get punished, punished, it's difficult to come back because remember last year when it happened, we had to chase the goal all the time. So lucky so lucky we were up two this time. But this cannot happen. We cannot relax like this. We have to keep going. Um, and Zlatan is the team's conscience in those kind of moments. He's the guy who doesn't allow them to let up. Players will tell you that he is maniacal on the field, that he is, I, I think, very difficult to play with. And you see the way he, he gestures when a pass doesn't go his way. 
And in, in a sense, he kind of shows teammates up with some of his gestures. Once the game ends, he's fine. He's a, he's a good teammate. He's a funny guy. He fits in in the locker room. But on the field, and, and, and this is where Zlatan is valuable. They win the game 2 to nothing. I'm sure some guys were feeling good about that. Zlatan comes off the field and says, you will not feel good about this. You will feel bad about the second half because that's not the way we play. And that kind of stuff is really important. And, um, it, it, you know, it's important over a long season to make sure everyone has their eyes on the ball, not just uh, the result of the game, but what it means going forward. Yeah, it's uh, it's important. Again, uh, you watch that game, you enjoyed the first half. I thought Roman Alessandrini had his best game of the season so far, by the way, just to just sort of throw that in there. Uh, I think he got really unlucky. He had two or three really good uh, shots from inside the box blocked. Um, so not enough, you know, space for him, but I think he's finding it. I know he's frustrated. You could see it, um, you know, on all his face. And, and I think that, you know, once he starts scoring a lot of this, they're always passing up shots to pass it to Zlatan. First of all, I went back and watched that game maybe once or twice. But again, high percentage play. You want Guillermo to be playing. If you're Guillermo, you're you're sitting there going, all right, I want you guys to, to high percentage. What's the highest percentage is to pass it to Zlatan. Um, is to put the ball in the air to Zlatan because with his head um, and his ability to tower over almost everybody else, his ability to jump and his ability to take on um, any player in this league, he is going to be your most high percentage. So I say, again, keep feeding the lion. Um, but you do want guys. You want guys like Antuna who got a good shot on goal, um, just hit it right at Blake in, in this game. And you want guys like Alessandrini who are perfectly capable of scoring goals to do so. And once those things really start clicking, again, this team has shown you how good they can be Kevin, uh, it's just a matter of putting it all together. So I think that you're looking at, um, you know, potentially a world beater here for the LA Galaxy. They feel like, and their actions are like things that I haven't seen in a very long time. I mean, you had the 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 level of perfection that they're currently aiming at. People couldn't dream of in 2017 and 2018. Um, I think you have to go back to 2010 and 2011 in terms of the focus on being perfect. Um, on on being the masters of every portion of the field um, and, and understanding you know tactically what the game is and and again going back to Sophie we were talking a little bit before uh, Guillermo came in to speak to the media and she says one of her favorite things about Guillermo Barrascoloto is that he understands this game tactically and it feels like the LA Galaxy are understanding this game tactically at a level that they did not have over the last two or three years. Well, not to rain on your parade, but uh, you know again playing devil's advocate. Um, you look at this team, and yeah, they're playing really well right now. They've got a great 11. But what if uh, if, if Rolf is hurt and can't play for a couple of weeks? Um, you've already said the depth at right back is is that's one of the weaker positions. What you know? What if Zlatan uh, gets injured again or can't play for whatever reason? Um, it, the depth seems to be maybe one thing that's lacking, at least it's untested. We don't know. Maybe yeah. Maybe someone will, will come off the bench and. And, and just be way better than we thought they were. But I, I guess right now that might be one thing to be a little bit concerned about. There don't, doesn't seem to be a ton of depth, despite all the additions that I mean, the, that Dennis and, and Guillermo brought in. It feels like there is. I feel like it's deeper than we're giving it credit for, because certainly you can go to the bench and get Boateng off the bench. Um, you know, you get can go to the bench and get Pontius off the bench. The, the one area I would say now, and let's say that Gonzalez can be a right-back substitute. So then now you're three deep at right-back because, you know, you have Felcher, you have Araujo, you have Gonzalez, Romney can play there. So, I mean, there seems to be flexibility within that if, if that's the case, and I believe it is. Um, so, so you're gaining there. The one area, though, Kevin, is something that I talked about on Thursday and using your quotes, and I want you to talk about, it, is is the backup for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. You talked to Dennis DeClosa. Um, you got the quotes from this guy. I, I, you know, I went over him really on Thursday. If you missed Thursday's podcast, I think it's one of the most informative that we have done in a very long time. Larry was great on it as well. Um, so you need to go back and listen to that, even if you're like, oh, well, the game's already over. There's tons of information on that Thursday night that you need to go. But, Kevin, you got to sit down with DeClosa, so I'm sort of interested at what you thought from your interaction with him about the comments about still having room and, and depth and all those things. Well, actually, we didn't sit down. We were standing. Okay. But in any case, um, he kind of confirmed what I thought uh, going in. I don't want to say I thought I knew. What, what I was thinking my uh, was that they have a ton of money left over. You know, they've got uh, the lion's share of $3.5 from Ola Kamara going to China. Then they got money back from Gio. Even though they had to pay Gio to leave, they got you know, his uh, relief from his salary. And then they get the 1.5 million back from that. Zalatan was using in TAM money. So they have 
a lot of money. They have a lot of flexibility. What they don't have are international slots, and they're going to have to find a solution to that problem. Well, they have but, they have one more. They have one more right, open but, right now. Uh, but and they're looking internationally. The the point is is Dennis and Guillermo. They both are on the same page. They have a blueprint. They know where they want to go. Um, we do know that Guillermo had made some noise privately when he came in that he was not enamored with this roster. That there were a lot of guys that don't fit his system, and probably are not long for this world. And he's going to start rebuilding the team. And that's not unusual in international soccer. You saw Pep Guardiola did did that at Manchester City. Uh, uh, Mourinho did that at Man Manchester United. You know, when new coaches come in, they rebuild the team. So that's not unusual. But the idea that uh, Dennis and Guillermo have, there's a blueprint. They know where they want – as Dennis told me, we know what we want to look like in 2021, and we're starting to head there now. So his quote talking about the Philadelphia game is he said, we want to win on Saturday, but not at the expense of not arriving where we want to go in 2021. So everything we're doing now is based on – what can help us win today, but more importantly, what's going to help us win in 2021? That's when our 2020, next season, when they, they really expect the team to to be even better than this team. And so when they talked about uh, Zlatan, they said, they yes, they are looking for another player. Uh, he wouldn't say it was a forward. He said they're looking for a versatile player, uh, someone who can play a number of positions. But he said he realized that they were weak in terms of backups for Zlatan. And he said the schedule is only going to get tougher as we go forward. We're going to have U.S. Open Cup. Uh, you know, there's going to be, uh, you know, trips to, to Texas when it's hot and, and cross-country flights to New York City and other places. They said it's going to wear on a guy who's 37. So they need some backup for Zlatan. But they want to get someone who's versatile. So if Zlatan's on the field, whoever this player is can play with him. And, and then I asked Dennis again about the idea that, you know, Guillermo and Dennis are very comfortable uh, with Latin American players and Latin American teams. Um, that doesn't mean that that you can't get a Korean guy off a Costa Rican team. That would still, in my mind, be be considered in Dennis's and Guillermo's wheelhouse. They know Costa Rican soccer. So I asked him whether they were going to continue to to scout primarily in Latin America, and he said no. That he said that in his last years with the Mexican Federation, he made a lot of contacts in Europe. Remember, he's from the Netherlands. He said he has a lot of contacts in Europe. Don't necessarily focus on Latin America was his word. And he said that the, that the scouting staff has been built out, that there's one guy that has already been on a couple of scouting trips. He wouldn't tell me where he went. Uh, that, that scout's name has not been announced. They haven't announced the, any scouting hires, although clearly this guy would not be flying all over the world if he hadn't already been hired. So the scouting staff, you remember when he took over, Kurt Schmidt was gone. Um, it, there was really nobody there. So that part is being beefed up as well. That scout's doing a lot of work already. And the idea of the they have this money, they have this flexibility, they want to make sure they use it wisely, but they want to make sure they use it because if they don't use it, then it just goes to waste. Yeah, it, it's very interesting in terms of what you're expecting sort of from the uh, the Galaxy and Guillermo Barrescoletto and, and, and sort of how they look at this. So, But uh, yeah. I want to add on that too, though, because I've gotten some comments when that story came out too, is – you know, not to to dump all over the 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 front office, the previous right. front office, too much, but right. you did get the feeling that they were just throwing stuff up against the wall to see if it would stick. With the, the Kurt Onafel year, with bringing all these guys up from the academy, there was a lot of fingers crossed, hoping that that would work out. It didn't. Then Ziggy came in, and Ziggy took a very MLS type view of it. Let's get you know he a lot of the players he brought in were MLS players. Let's just. Bring some of these pieces in from other teams. These guys know MLS. Let's put it together the way MLS teams have always been put together. Well, that part of the league is kind of gone. I mean, you look at the way Atlanta put its team together with a lot of Latin Americans and Seattle, uh, too, bringing up Ladero and, and right. other players. The league has moved on from that old MLS model, and I think Guillermo and, and uh, Dennis are sort of hip to that, and, and they're definitely very much in tune with that. And so when he talked about 2021 – when we're in 2019, the idea that there is a plan and a roadmap and they're going to follow it and they know what it's going to look like when when this whole masterpiece is done, that was very comforting uh, because in the past it just seemed like let's try to get through the week and then we'll tackle next week when we get there. That's not the way these guys are operating. No, I, I think you're I, I think you're right. It, it seems like they do get it. I, my big pushback on all of that has been, and I think people have already heard this, is that they're not going to continue to 
to be, they're not going to be able to continue to get this many international slots. They have 10, which means they picked up two additional. Um, you know, the money eventually runs out to acquire those every year, and they're only good for a year. You only get an international slot for a year, so it's good for that season, and then everything resets, and every team gets eight again, um, and then you can start trading and, and doing things. And I think eventually New England is going to figure out that they can actually use those international slots, um, and then that'll that'll sort of go. So, um, you know, the, the Galaxy can be helped by green cards, certainly. Um, by the way, I learned something that, you know, I've always been of the opinion that even if a player gets a green card, they should still be counted as an international player. I know it's helped the Galaxy in the past, but I don't. I think it does the league a, a sort of disservice whenever they pretend that, you know, they're all about domestic players, but they're really more about international players who then become domestic players when they get green cards. But I learned that, uh, you know, U.S. law uh, and basically immigration law, uh, it will not allow you to discriminate against a green card um, you know, owner or somebody who has a green card. So if you have a green card, you're ha you're allowed all the same rights basically as that as that that true citizenship. Um, and so therefore, you couldn't go in and say, well, even though you got a green card, we're still going to treat you as an international player within the league system. It would <coughs> violate U.S. law, which I thought was really interesting. Well, but but you make a really good point, which I like. This league was started. If you go back to the beginnings, it was this league began after the, the 1994 World Cup, and one of the stipulations FIFA put on. U.S. soccer to get that World Cup was that it had to develop a first division league, a competitive first division league, and it had to develop players. And and that was the mandate when they started the MLS. And I really like your point of then don't start, you know, turning this into the, uh, you know, Premier League West where everyone that plays in the league is foreigner. Look what that's done to the uh, English national team. Now, I know they were good this, this last World Cup, but they struggled for a lot of times because a lot of their best players could not play in the Premier League. It was so foreign uh, dominant. So I liked your idea of bringing these guys in and then giving them green cards and saying they're no longer foreign players. They're still taking the spot away from a domestic player. I kind of like that idea. And, and, and we know that MLS can do whatever it wants with its rules. Yeah, I know U.S. law gets in the way. But what if the rule were to say someone who is signed as an international player um, and obtains a green card uh, – there's got to be a way to, to, I think, to, to, to word it you, that you they it. can still be counted as an international player. Yeah, you flip it, and we've talked about this before. You flip it, and you mandate a certain number of domestic players must be in the starting, must be on the field at all times. Um, and that's what sort of does it. Now, uh, here's my argument completely against that. Um, I only give MLS crap for that because that's what they state as sort of their goal there, Kevin. Um, I think that they should probably just throw the rule book out. Whatever they want to yeah, do, I, I, I don't, I don't care. Wanna, I don't want to be, I agree with you. I don't want to be jingoistic, but, yeah. but I do go back to this is what the league was started to do. So either be true to that mandate or throw it out. I, I, I think you should have the best players in the world. Yeah. And if that happens that all 700 players or whatever it is in the league are from China, yeah. and those are the 700 best players in the world, then, then that, that's, that's, that's awesome. Be, but yeah. then don't tell us you start started the league to you know produce domestic and players. I, and I think they've been moving further and further away from it. Anyway, that was my that was my one little uh, caveat on that. So now let's go. Uh, I want to go quickly through the standings because we're we're basically at an hour here. Um, but I want to under I want you to understand where everything is right now. Uh, LAFC sits at the top of the Western Conference, 19 points, 2.71 points per game. They've played seven games so far. Uh, I believe they're one of four teams in the Western Conference who have played seven games and uh, they have not lost a game. You have the Seattle Sounders, six games played, 16 points. 2.67 points per game. They are also one of the undefeated teams. The Houston Dynamo is the other undefeated team in the Western Conference, and they're in fourth place. LA Galaxy in third place, 15 points, 2.5 points per game. Houston at 2.6 points per game, but has only played five games instead of six or instead of seven. I always love MLS going all crazy with uh, who has only played X number of games. That's always fun to watch. Uh, FC Dallas in fifth place, 13 points from seven games played, 1.86 points per game. Minnesota United 10 points in 6th place. Sporting Kansas City, who I think is the sleeper right now. Uh, Sporting Kansas City has 9 points through 6 games um, and could really, I think, jump up this list in a hurry if they want to. Real Salt Lake in 8th, San Jose in ninth, Vancouver in 10th, Colorado in 11th, and Portland in 12th. Um, Those last two are just so surprising. I really thought Colorado was going to be good this year. I didn't know that Tim Howard was going to give up 111 goals yeah. in the first month of the season. But uh, and then Portland, they were in the MLS Cup last year. I know the parity is 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 you know king in MLS, but. How do you go from the MLS Cup final to last place and no wins? It, it's certainly a product, I would say, somewhat, and only somewhat, because I've talked to some people in Portland, and they're like, listen, this is this can't be the excuse. Um, but it, it is a, a, a product.
product of the fact that they don't have any home games until June. Um, so that's still playing on them. Um, they're 0-5-1 so far, and they got absolutely jobbed uh, in their game against Dallas this weekend where uh, where I believe it was Matt Hedges, one of my favorite players in quotation marks, uh, Matt Hedges who spiked a ball in the box and could, it was it was a penalty kick. It should have been a penalty kick. That should have given Portland, um, I think, a win um, in this particular game. And so I, I think they got a little uh, little worked over. But you know, it's still the fact that they're on the road and they're not playing very well right now. So uh, you know, uh, Giovanni Savarese has a lot of work to do still with that team. And apparently, they're going after another player. I expect them to be better than they're, where they're at, Kevin. But this start is not going to help them right now. Minus eleven on the goal differential for the Portland Timbers right now. So. No, and and there could be something to that. Uh, you know, playing at home because look at what DC United did last year. They were yeah. terrible through the beginning of the season. They played all those home games at the end after Audi Field opened, wound up making the playoffs. Of course, they they did add uh, a player, a guy named Rooney, turned out to be pretty good. Yeah, yeah. The, it's always, you know, it's a tale of two halves, but I think it's a little different this year with the uh, playoff format, so we'll keep an eye on that. In terms of the Supporters' Shield, the top three teams in the league are the top three teams in the Western Conference, LAFC, Seattle, and LA Galaxy. DC United files in number four, Houston at number five, uh, let's see, Dallas at number six, and Columbus crew there at number seven. There are only two Eastern Conference teams in the top seven of that uh, Supporter Shield race right now. So it's, uh, it's really exciting that two of the three best teams in the league are right here in Southern California. You know, you can go out and watch them. Uh, you know, it's going to be great for the rivalry when El Trafico starts. Um, it, it's just really cool to have, and, and we had 47, 48,000 people out watching them last weekend. Yeah. I'll, I'll, same time. A lot of, a lot of fun, uh, in LA for, for soccer right now. Uh, if you look at the schedule for the galaxy, uh, coming up Friday against, uh, Houston Dynamo, that game is at Dignity Health Sports Park, a 7.30 p.m. kickoff time. It's on Univision and Unamas. Uh, I believe it would also probably be on Twitter for this particular game if you're looking for that. So 7.30 Una p.m. Twitter. Una Twitter, that's right. Uh, 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, Wednesday, Kevin, you're traveling to this game, it looks like. I am. Yep. I am going to, to Minneapolis. Yeah, so the Galaxy. St. Paul, wherever it is, one of those places. Yeah, it's either in one of those. Um, but if you look at it, uh, it is a Friday game and then a Wednesday game, a midweek at brand new Allianz Field, um, which had a... a a fun game to watch. New York City and Minnesota were 3-3. Um, so that one was fun. So that's where the Galaxy will be heading after that. Then it is back home on Sunday, April 28th, 5 p.m. Pacific time kickoff against Real Salt Lake. Then they're away to New York Red Bulls, away to Columbus Crew midweek, Wednesday, May 8th. So a Saturday, Wednesday, that's a road trip that they'll stay out on. Uh, and then you're home to the new to New York City on Saturday, May 11th, uh, home to the Colorado Rapids on Sunday, May 19th. Um, and then to close out May, you are away at Orlando on Friday, May 24th, and away at Sporting Kansas City Wednesday, May 29th. Again, one, two, three, four, five, six games in May upcoming after the Galaxy close out these last three games in April. So uh, a lot of soccer to be played for the LA Galaxy and some good teams in there, Kevin. We talk about Houston being a test for the Galaxy. I think, Min excuse me, I think Minnesota away will be a test for the LA Galaxy, much different than playing Minnesota at home. Um, and then you go into Real Salt Lake at home. I mean, when I look at those three games, which is fun to sort of do whenever you look at it, I think the Galaxy are better than Houston. I think they're better than Minnesota, and I think they're better than Real Salt Lake. So <clears throat> having said that, looking at all these games, uh, I have to feel that the LA Galaxy still can close out April, possibly without losing any games in April whatsoever. I think the one game that I'm a little iffy at is going to be that Minnesota midweek game, just in terms of it's midweek and it's away. And... Yes. Remember, they swept snow off the field for the first game That's at right. Alliance Arena. That's and right. you know what the weather's going to be like on the 24th. What It's going to be snowy? Is it going to be cold? Are you going to get stuck in Minnesota? No, mostly sunny, 60 degrees, okay. low of 44. So... It, uh, it'll be good. It, it should be. It should be an interesting one. Uh, anyway, so that's... But besides Zlatan's from Sweden, where the polar bears uh, love the snow. That's that's where that's what I heard about that. That's uh, that's definitely one of those things. All right. Uh, is there anything else you want to cover on the Galaxy? Anything that you think we forgot? I'm sure we didn't cover everything. There's a lot of stuff to sort of get over from this Philadelphia game. It was... A there, there was one player's name who was not mentioned. Maybe the only... One of the only starters that whose name is not mentioned, and he's playing out of his mind right now. Who's that? David Bingham. David Bingham. Yeah. Um, for all the people who said he sucked and that they should look at a replacement, and for all those people I said, I told you so, uh, put a defense in front of him and the guy can play. But not only that, and I was talking to some broadcasters, Kevin, 
they were saying that David Bingham has upped his game this year. It's not just a simple fact that he has a defense. He may have a defense which has given him confidence to be the goalkeeper I think the Galaxy wanted him to be whenever they got him. And he has the perfect mentality for a goalkeeper. He probably hears the criticism, probably knows about it, doesn't bother him in the least. He, The confidence that he has, he gets from himself. It doesn't matter what Guillermo says to him. It doesn't matter what his defenders say to him. It doesn't matter what we say about him, good or bad. Um, he's in his own head. You know, He knows that he tells himself he's good, and he goes out and plays well. Um, it's, a, it's like a closer in baseball. You, know, you can't think about the last blown save the last goal you gave up. And, um, you know, again, it's perfect mentality. He knows that he's good. He goes out there and plays well, and he tunes out everybody else. Hey, that's what you want. That's, again, I, I agree. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see him going. The Galaxy on a 226-minute shutout streak, so uh, keep an eye on that for Friday. And, of course, on Wednesday night, we will uh, we will go for a live show on YouTube. Uh, the Hammer, the Portuguese Hammer himself, will be back in here, so we'll be able to talk about that all we want. You know YouTube. Yeah, there you go. I don't think you can do that to everything. Um, you know, that's just my my English background, sort of speaking. Yeah, ma- ma- Una NBC. Una NBC. It, ma- it makes some sense. All right. Uh, anything else, Kevin? You good? I am good. All right. Uh, well, not really. I didn't win a Pulitzer again, but we'll we'll try again next year. That's right. There's always next year. That's how it goes. All right. If you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, go ahead and follow him at kbaxter11 and head on over to the LA Times and read all of his articles covering soccer in Los Angeles. U.S. men's national team, women's national team, all that stuff coming up, especially the Women's World Cup. You're going to want to follow Kevin over at the L.A. Times. If you're looking for me on Twitter, it's at Jay Guessman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and, of course, at Galaxy Podcast. Head on over to our website, cornerofthegalaxy.com. Some great articles up there by myself, by Mr. Larry Morgan, not on Twitter as well. He's doing some great work, so check that out as we continue to cover this. And, again, the game on Friday. We will have a show on Wednesday. Hope you can join us at 7 p.m. on Wednesday night for our live show. And if not, we will see you out at the game on Friday. For Mr. Kevin Baxter, the panda himself, I'm Josh Guessman. You've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy from the box podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. And for all of your independent LA Galaxy news, discussion, and entertainment, including this podcast, head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Fans, thanks for listening. We ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Arajo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.